Hear these words from the greater gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made it foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was being preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, I share that gospel, and as I was preparing for this moment where I get to share the greater gospel with you, I I was reminded of a comedian that I like to watch sometimes on television called Bill Ingvall. Have any of you ever heard of Bill Ingvall? Well, Bill Ingvall has this little shtick in the the work that he does. And every once in a while when he's kind of making fun of what seems to be an obvious situation, he says, here's your sign. And anyone that's listening to him saying, well, yes, that's obvious. We should all know that. But here we are as human beings craving signs for the obvious. So this morning on this second Sunday of Lent, I came by to show you a sign. Now, Christians, here's your sign. This is the only sign that we should need. Everything in our lives points to this sign. So, no matter where you are, No matter what situation or scenario you find yourself in, that's your sign. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning's gospel comes from John chapter 2. Many of you may have these words uh, familiar in your heart. Those that it's new to, drink them in. Those that have heard them before, listen for something new in them. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all the temple, drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of our God, the gospel for us today. Let us rejoice in it. Would you collect your heart with mine? And let's pray for our pastor, Keith, who's about to speak it to us. Lord God, on this morning we come 
And we come like all people come, seeking to see, feel, and to be a part of your great work. So Lord, let us see today the signs that you had come to show us. For Lord, seeking signs to the wise and the learned of the world is foolishness. Listening to them for you is often foolishness. For you are the true wisdom. You are the one and only truth. You are the barometer for all that is. You are the absolute of all absolutes. And so, Lord, we lean into you. Help us to see that exactly who you are and because of who you are, who it is that we shall be. Strengthen Pastor Keith. Let him uh, speak the truth with great abandon. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. So we look into this text this morning and we see Jesus going into the temple, the place of worship, and becoming so angry with what was happening there that he had some very strong words for those people. No, he, he went in there. And it says that he drove out the money changers. He made a whip of cords. He makes a weapon. And he begins to to lash out at people, driving them from the temple because of what was happening in there. Now, that might go against your understanding of, of what you might think Jesus is like. It certainly does for me at times, especially when I can when I consider, you know, what I like to refer to as Christian bookstore Jesus, who is you know, got his, his hands out like this and his hair is perfectly feathered back and he's got a lamb or something behind him and he's, he's nice and he is very calm and, and he's very, you know, just mellow and, and he's passive and he just loves everybody. Then you think of Jesus running into the church and losing his temper like this and it might challenge your understanding a little bit about who Jesus is. And I think that that's okay. Well, when the Jews see this, of course, they're enraged. And they want to know, what gives you the right to do this, Jesus? What gives you the right? What sign will you show us that you have the authority to do this? And Jesus' response to them is is basically to say this. You want a sign? You're going to get a sign. You destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They, of course, were thinking of the temple he had just ransacked. He, of course, was talking about his own body. He is the sign, he said to them. It's like when you get pulled over by a police officer and he comes up to your car. Do you ask him, may I see some identification? He's got his car. He's got his badge. He's got his uniform. He's wearing his identification. You know who he is. And that's what Jesus was basically saying. But people ask that question continually. What sign can you show us? What gives you the right, Jesus, to, to, to do the things that you do, to, to act the way that you act, and to take the authority that you take? You ever ask that question? Do you ask for signs? Let me just make you think about that for a minute. Do you ask for signs from people in your life? From your family, from your friends, from your your boss, 
or from Jesus? What, what kind of signs do you ask for? Hey, if you respect me, you'll do the, you do those dishes if you actually respected me. You'd clean your room. If you loved me, you would remember my birthday or anniversary or whatever. We ask for signs oftentimes, don't we, in our lives? If we, if we see this, then we'll do that. If we get this, then we'll know we're supposed to do that. But what do we, what do we mean when we ask for signs from God? And why do we need them? Now, according to the Apostle Paul in, in the text from Corinthians, there are a few signs that people look for. He says that the Jews seek signs. Okay? And, and, and I think what he meant was empirical evidence. Right? Empirical evidence meaning things that you can see with your senses, that you can, that you can see and feel so that you know that they're real. Right? Whereas the Greeks seek wisdom. Right? Wisdom, like intellectual evidence, an understanding. Have you ever asked for a sign like that? God, if you're real and you want me to do this, then make something happen that I can't deny. You ever do that? Then let this, you know, let the light change green in three, two, one, boom, and up. Guess I'm not supposed to go that way, or whatever it might be. Sometimes we seek empirical evidence. We want to see. God moved things. We want to see things happen. Strange circumstances or situations that we want to say, okay, God did that, and I could see it, so now I know what he wants me to do. Other times, we want the Greek understanding. We want the wisdom. Okay, God, help me to understand why you would have me do this. Help me to understand why things are the way they are. Because if I can just intellectually grasp it, then I'll believe what you want me to do. Whereas the legalists, and this is where I'm coming from the Pharisees' perspective, they want to see that God's keeping all the proper rules. They want to see that Jesus does what he's supposed to do according to their own mindset. Do you ever ask God to do what you think he's supposed to do? Right? Hey, God, aren't you supposed to do that? Have you ever asked that question before? We have all sorts of different types of signs that we seek in our lives as Christians, don't we? And that was certainly true for, for the Pharisees and, and people that, were, that saw Jesus behaving the way he was behaving. What, what, how, help us understand. Show us something, Jesus. You can't just do that, right? <clears throat> or, in the case of Paul saying, well, the wisdom of the world doesn't get this whole Christianity thing. So how are we supposed to put it together, right? Have you ever had somebody pull you aside and just say, look, I just don't get the whole religion thing. It just doesn't make sense to me. Some people need in their own minds, this idea of understanding before they will believe. So those are some of the different type of signs people look for. And I'm sure that we all have our own, you know, different things that we've done in our lives where we've asked God to show us signs or to, to, to prove himself to us in various ways. I'll get into a couple of those in, in just a moment. But I want to ask this question. Does Jesus equate sign seeking as a lack of faith? I want you to think about that. Here's what he says in Matthew 16, 4. He says, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Right? So he's saying that it's a wicked generation that wants this sign, but I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not going to play your game of giving you all these signs except for this one, the sign of Jonah. Now, what's the sign of Jonah? Well, in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus tells us, in verse 40, he says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <clears throat> so the sign of Jonah ultimately 
has to do with the death of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Well, of course, what happened after Jonah was in the belly of the fish? He came out, right? He came out. He didn't stay in the belly of the fish. And if you follow the logic, you can see that Jesus comes out of the heart of the earth as well. He comes out of his tomb. The sign of Jonah has to do with his death and resurrection. And Jesus said, you guys want all these signs? This is the sign that you're going to get. And in John 20, 29, it says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we have this understanding that Jesus isn't always like, Hey, you want to see a sign? Check this out. You know, he's not a street magician. He's not out to, to, to gather a bunch of people around. Let me prove to you who I am. Let me show you this. Let me show you that. Because according to Jesus, needing a sign is a lack of faith. Needing a sign is a lack of faith. He said in John four forty eight, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, how are we supposed to deal with that? Is it wrong for us to, to want to see a sign or some sort of confirmation from God about His reality or about what we're supposed to be doing? Is that wrong for us to do? I don't know that it's wrong, provided we do it God's way. And here's what I'm talking about. Instead of seeking a sign, we need to see the signs. Just drink that in for a moment. Instead of seeking a sign, we need to see the sign. Now let me talk to you for just a couple moments here about the difference between seeking Versus seeing. When you're seeking a sign, you're saying, hey God, I need to see something. I need you to show me something. And typically we tell God what it probably is, right? Seeking predetermines what sign is acceptable based on our own standards. You ever tell God the sign that you want him to send you? Okay, God, here's what I need today. I I need you to to, uh, you know, bring a person with, you know, blue eyes and red hair into my, into my life today and for them to, you know, tell me this exact thing and then I'll know, and it has to happen by four o'clock today, and then I'll know that you're real. You ever do that? Maybe not that exact thing, but have you ever, have you ever told God ahead of time what you need him to do to show you that he's real? Right? You predetermined the sign That's acceptable based on your own standard. You've decided toward God what it's going to be. Now, oftentimes we might do that. Have you ever heard of it called putting a fleece before the Lord? That's a famous story from the Old Testament from about a man named Gideon who was trying to decide whether he was going to follow God's will and go into battle. And and he set out a wool fleece on the ground and he prayed, God, if this is your will then make the ground wet and make the fleece dry. So he woke up the next morning and guess what? The ground was wet and the fleece was dry. Well, that wasn't good enough for Gideon. So then he said, all right, let's try this again. You ever do that? You forget what you want? And then you, okay, God, let's up the ante a little bit here. If you really, really want me to do this. So he said, okay, God, let's do this the other way. Let's make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And guess what? God did that. And for some reason, we've decided that has become a model for us as 
21st century North American Christians that we can tell God what he needs to do for us to be obedient to him. And so we've come up with these fleece before the Lord. I, I've done it. I'll be honest with you. I've done it. I've said, okay, God, I, I, you know, if you want me to do this, then make this happen or make that happen. That's seeking after a sign. And ultimately, it kind of stems from a lack of faith, doesn't it? So seeking predetermines what sign is acceptable based on our own standards. <clears throat> Additionally, seeking predetermines a time frame according to our own expectations. What if God's sign is late? Then what are you going to do? What if the sign that God wants to show you comes, you know, a month after you've told him when you need that? You've got a deadline to keep, right? You told God, hey, I need this sign by 4 p.m. tomorrow, right? Don't be late, God. Get it done when I need it done. Well, when we, de- when we determine our own time frame to God, oftentimes, you know, we can be, we can be a little bit remiss in that. But seeking predetermines a time frame according to our own expectations because none of us, none of us like to wait. None of us like to be patient. We want God to, to reveal himself to us in the way that we want, when the way that we want, in the time that we want. And of course, and this is, I think, the, the most difficult one to deal with, is that seeking a sign limits a sign to our own ideas. I saw a story on CNN yesterday that the front, the front uh, headline of it on the, on the internet was uh, historical Jesus questioned, something like that. <coughs> and this news story wasn't, you know, usually you get those new, those are like done by like scholars or whatever in the church that are like trying to wrestle with what Jesus actually said versus what the Bible says he said, as if there's a difference. But this person was was basically putting out this idea that Jesus Christ never actually existed. That he wasn't a real person in the world. That he's just a figment of our religious imagination. That he was made up by people in, in, in history. And here was his evidence. They found, halfway across the world, I think somewhere in Asia, inside a cave, a picture that dates back to the 3rd century of a naked man hanging on a cross with some sort of inscription that he was some type of God. Okay? Now, his logic went like this. There's no way in the world these people in this part of the world could have known about Christianity in the 3rd century. Therefore, this idea of a God crucified on a cross must have been created somewhere in the world, so why would we then believe in Jesus? Now that's how he chose to interpret that sign. The way I choose to interpret that sign is, wow, isn't it amazing that halfway around the world, in a place where people couldn't have heard the gospel, someone had a vision of a naked man on a cross, and yet that he was a God. Maybe it came to someone in a dream. Maybe it came to someone in a vision. Maybe some way, somehow, God revealed himself. Maybe one of the disciples snuck off to, to uh, the Far East or wherever this was and told someone about Jesus. And they told someone about Jesus. And 200 or 300 years later, you know, this, this person drew this thing on a cave. 
See, here's what we have to understand. And Paul talks about this with the wisdom of the world is foolish before God and, and the foolish things God has exalted. Whatever you have as your worldview, whatever you've predecided, no matter where you look, that's what you're going to see. And if you've already decided what the signs mean before you see them, then of course they're going to verify what you already think. We all do this. That's why some of us see signs every day in our faith, don't we? Have you ever met that Christian who you talk to him and you think they're just a little bit nuts? Because everywhere they go, they feel like Jesus is talking to them like a real person all the time, like he's on the phone with them. You know, and, and well, I just, I went to McDonald's and, and the Lord spoke to me and told me to get a number two instead of a number three. Because somebody behind me was singing a song and it had two words in it. <clears throat> I knew that was God. Right? Or you talk to someone who, who everything in their life, they, they see God and they just say, wow, you know, God really spoke to me today. I woke up and the birds were chirping and it was a beautiful sunrise and, and I felt the, the, the breeze and, and I just felt like God was saying, good morning, Pastor Mike. Right? You know, however that is. <clears throat> For some of us, we just experience God all the time. For others of us, we're just like, man, there is, God does not care about me. He has nothing to do with my life. He's not showing me anything. And you say, well, yeah, well, didn't we have Bible study last week and we talked about that thing that you were struggling with? Oh, yeah, but that had to be a coincidence. Well, didn't we just see this thing or talk about that? Or didn't you say this happened or what? Oh, yeah, but, you know, that's just what happened. For some of us, we just take our own understanding and we lay that over the top of everything that happens in life. And that can, because of our own ideas, determine what signs that we see, Right? Now, here's what we need to understand. There's a difference between seeking versus seeing. I want to talk to you today about seeing. Because seeing is different than seeking. <clears throat> like I said, seeking predecides what you need, whereas seeing acknowledges that God knows what we need more than we do. When you say, God, help me to see the signs that are already there. Help me to see them. We're acknowledging that they are already there. We're acknowledging that God knows what we need to know and what we need to see before we see it. Seeking acknowledges God's timetable, not ours. When we seek God, we're saying, show me this at this particular time. But when we say, God, show me what you need me to see, then we're recognizing that his timetable is what's important. We're saying, God, you show me when I, need to show, when I need to see it. I trust you. It'll be there. And seeing, most importantly, opens the door to whatever and however God chooses to reveal himself to us. When we recognize that this whole sign business is, is God's way of communicating with us. And we understand that he is already doing that. We just need to see it. Right? Then we know. Then we know that he's real. I remember when I first moved here, it was, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to accept the position at this church because I was already working in a couple churches that I, that I really liked being in and felt the Lord moving. And when... 
when, it, when I was talking with Pastor Mike and others about this, it was one of those things where like, okay, God, show me something. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And, and it really wasn't until after I got here that I really started to see the signs. One, one sign in particular that, that I'll never forget was, um, you know, it was getting to be winter. And I think the year was 2011, I think, when, when we moved here. And <clears throat> winter of 2011, we were still living in Wilton, Iowa, which is about an hour away. So I'm driving back and forth. Every day I come up here. And then my family, we would drive up every Sunday morning. And then if we'd have meetings at night, it would be, it would be a long day of just being here and trying to just drive around Cedar Rapids or Marion looking for something to do until we'd come back. And, and I remember saying to Estelle, boy, it sure would be nice if, if we could just find a place to kind of just crash out. <clears throat> You know, that was available to us. And, of course, there were plenty of opportunities I had to, you know, stay at Pastor Mike's house or whatever, but I didn't want him to get sick of me. So, you know, although that would never happen, right? Um, I remember just saying to Stella, you know, it would be great if in this church somewhere there was like, you know, maybe some, some, you know, person who would just like go south for the winter and have a nice place that they could just, we could just stay there. But we didn't know anybody. And that same morning that I remember saying that to Stell, I come walking right down here after the 8.30 service, and I'm still brand new to the church. I don't know hardly anybody. And I meet this little saint of a woman named Nancy Mueller. You guys know Nancy. And Nancy says, hi, my name is Nancy. And we, you know, you don't know me, and this might be a little weird for me to ask this of you, but would you happen to have any use for my condo? I'm getting ready to head down for, to Arizona for the winter. And I've got this three-bedroom condo, and if you'd like to use it, you can sure use it while I'm gone. Wow. That beautiful three-bedroom condo was a block or two away from the house we were in the process of buying. So it was in the same school district. It was actually even the same bus that my kids were going to ride to the school. It was right there, and it was exactly what we needed. And it was exactly what God said to us to show us that, it, that this was what he wanted. It was, it was insane. And, and oftentimes when you step out in faith, then you see the signs. Now, if I would have said, before I would have accepted the position here, all right, God, I'll go. But first, I need to know exactly where I'm going to stay. You know, all that. Never would have happened. When we see what God's already doing, then we come to this place of faith, and it, it's awesome. Now, That's a sign that God gave to me, and you probably have plenty of stories like that. But you know, there are greater signs that God has given to all of us. And I want to just show three of them to you right now. What sign has God given to us? And when I say us, I mean the whole world. Because make no mistake about it, our God is a God who gives signs. He gives signs. And the first one was this, in Isaiah 7, 14, it's the sign of the manger. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The first sign is the incarnation. It is God becoming a man. If you say, God, I want to know that you're real. God says, here's the first sign. I came to this earth as a real historical person who lived among you and taught among you. People could see and touch and feel me and hear my voice. And, 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 and I lived and walked among you. That's a sign. The wise men came. He said, what's the sign? You'll see the baby lying in the manger. The first sign is the manger. That that, that God has become a man in Jesus Christ. 
Well, the second sign is what this baby who grew to be the man Jesus did. And what did his followers do? The signs of the apostles. Mark 16, 17, and 18 says, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. (coughs) You might say, wait a second. Are we supposed to start grabbing snakes around here? This isn't like Kentucky. We don't do that up here, right? You know, you ever see those snake handling churches where they break out the snakes? You're like, what is going on? Well, that happened in, in, in Acts. If you read about the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked on an island and he was bit by a snake and they thought he's surely going to die. Well, he didn't die. So that's already been fulfilled. So we don't need to do that one. We don't need that committee. Okay. But recognize the point that Jesus is making here is that there will be signs that accompany those who follow Jesus. The things they do, the miracles that take place. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John 3, 2, it says he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus was doing all sorts of amazing things while he walked on this earth to prove who he was. And he told his disciples, greater things will you do if you believe in me. So there are signs all around us, the signs of the lives of the apostles and the Christians that have been changed by Jesus Christ. Hey, you know what just occurred to me? You might be a sign for somebody else. The things that you do in your faith, in your life, because you love Jesus, could be a sign. And it could be anything. Right? You may think it could be nothing, but you know what? Here's one example. We need some people to come and help us make some peanut butter sandwiches this week for Fly. Wednesday and Friday. We need a couple people to come help us. You may say, all right, I got nothing better to do. I'll come do that. That could be a huge sign to somebody, right? By the way, if you would be willing to help us with that, Jan Dickinson's sitting right back there. She'll wave her hand, and you can go tell Jan, I'll be here Wednesday or Friday to help make some peanut butter sandwiches, right? Isn't that great how I can work those announcements into the sermon like that? Pastor Mike taught me how to do that. Um, But that could be a sign. The signs of the apostles are signs that, that continue to live on, right? Today, you could walk out of here and be a sign for someone. And then, of course, the greatest and, 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 and most famous and best sign of all, as Pastor Mike said before, the sign is the cross and the empty tomb. Remember what Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That sign is for all people, in all times, and in all places. And that sign communicates what you need to know about who God is and how much he loves you. Think about this. Every other sign that we seek is answered by that sign. That tells you everything you need to know about who God is. And about how much God loves you. And about how much you need God. So do you see it? Do you recognize it for what it is? You know, the world thinks it's foolish. The world thinks it's ridiculous. Some people want to see more empirical evidence for it. Some people want to try to understand it. And because they can't, they refuse to believe it. 
but it's there for you. The question is, do you see it? Because this sign has come from God. And it has the power, the power of God to show you everything that you need to know. Many of you wear those around your neck or you see people that do it. The cross is everywhere in our society, but it amazes me how unrecognizable it can be sometimes. How people could see it just as a, some piece of jewelry or a reminder of their upbringing. See the sign that God is giving you and have faith in Jesus. And that will show you everything you need to see. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for the signs that you give to us, Lord. And God, we know that you are active and alive in our lives and guiding and directing what we do. But Lord, forgive us when we have acted out of faithlessness and and put timetables on you and put our own ideas on you as a condition of our obedience. Lord, help us instead to see what you're doing all around us, to see what you've already done. May that be enough for us, Jesus. May the foolish things in our lives, God, melt away into your wisdom and your power. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Um, I'm uh, uh, honored to be able to assist uh, on Sunday mornings uh, at the uh, drive through entrance uh, to help people out of cars and, and to... Uh, um, welcome people to our church, and I find that accessibility is is very difficult. Parking is is very limited on Sunday mornings. Uh, we find that that it's a, a long ways for people to walk, uh, uh, whether it's with little children or or elderly people. Um, uh, it's it's just a struggle to get into our sanctuary uh, in the mornings. Well, as a person with some physical handicaps. Um, uh, uh, limited mobility I uh, had started out with uh, eight years ago with double canes I used two canes and, and uh, just imagine parking uh, in, where I could find parking there were not too many reserved spots back then and uh, and then walking uh, through the church and I mean through it all the way to the sanctuary uh, we noted that uh, that it, that's a football field in distance and what a struggle so I really feel for the people that have um, walkers uh, they get dropped off at the front uh, back door which is nice uh, but they have uh, you know almost a football field of, of travel before they get to the sanctuary I am very excited about our new facility from an accessibility standpoint, being able to get from, from your car to the sanctuary with uh, all on one level. Um, and I think the, the openness of the North X area or fellowship area is going to be very exciting to, to be able to hang around and chat with people before and after church and to have a, a larger church functions in that area. Um, I have never been on the chancel, and uh, I'm looking forward to I don't know why uh, I want to get up there, but uh, there has to be a reason to come up to the chancel, and I will have the opportunity, thanks to the ramps that are being uh, put in, to get us up there.